Hello and welcome to the Six Tone Podcast, bringing you fresh voices from today's China. We're coming to you from Shanghai, and I am Chen Jinghua. And I'm Kevin Schumacher. For today's episode, we're looking at domestic violence. It's been two years since China's first national family violence law came into effect in March of 2016. A key component of the law was personal protection orders that were intended to protect victims from their abusers. Joining us today, we have Six Tone reporter Fu Dani, data journalist Liu Tang, and editor Jessica Levine, who recently looked into whether protection orders have proven to be an effective tool. Danny, to start with the basics, how do you apply for a protection order in China? Victims can write down application letters with enough evidence and send them to the local court. And the local court, they will make decisions in 72 hours, and you will see the results. And for evidence, it includes police records and hospital injury records and even witness records. And for the witness records, victims, children, or the local village government, or even local women foundations, they can give your、uh, such、uh, written records as evidence. Jinghua, you reported on the family violence law shortly after it came into effect back in 2016, actually for one of Six Tone's very first articles. What were the expectations back then? So basically, this law was a really long time coming. It involved more than 20 years of campaigning from domestic violence or anti-violence advocates. And one of the people I spoke to who was involved in drafting the law, Sun Xiaomei, she has been involved in domestic violence studies since 1990. I think some of the issues that have come up are things that People were aware of at the time. For example, that there are some things that are omitted in the law, and then there were some issues with implementation that I think people foresaw. And Sun Xiaomei actually said to me that she thought it would take a couple of years of tweaking. Some of the things that were promising was definitely,、uh, I think, the protection orders were one of the features that people were happy to see, and that had actually been piloted in a few places in China since 2008. But what Putting it in the domestic violence law did was separated it from divorce proceedings. It was supposed to lower, I guess, the burden of evidence compared to going through criminal proceedings. But we definitely found, even when we were reporting that at the time,、um, even though there was a lot of media coverage about the new law, that awareness was still pretty low. And we went to the police station, myself and another reporter that was just down the street in Shanghai, which is one of the places you would expect law enforcement officers to sort of be more aware. And they had no idea what we were talking about. You know, we said, "How would you apply for a personal protection order if I know someone who's been in a domestic violence situation? What would you do?" And they were like, "What law?" Yeah, my interview in Alien. She is a victim for domestic violence, and she also have such same experience that the local police office they are on informed about、uh, personal protection orders. Alien is from a village in Jiangxi Province. And after the domestic violence implement, she went to the local police stations. But the police officers they saw this kind of family issues and asked her to solve this problem on her own and to ask her relatives to help her. And she tried another local police station. Police office also asked her about her husband's phone number because they needed to confirm the couple's situations. And when she applied. For For the personal protection orders, they need to、uh, collect police records as evidence. And each police station she went before gave such police records is showing just kind of 
family dispute rather than domestic violence, which is not really strong evidence for her to support her application. How did she eventually manage to get a protection order filed against her husband? So finally, with NGO support and also local women foundations, she got order to protect herself. So in the end, Alian was successful, but Liu Chang, you came upon this story because you heard that the approval rate for protection orders is actually very low. I went to that lecture on domestic violence, and I found that the approval rate for protection order is pretty low. So I thought this is worth looking into it because I think the protection order is a restraining order. So the main purpose of it is to protect the victims, not to criminalize the perpetrators. So I thought it should be really easy to get the order, but then it turns out to be pretty hard. For example, I looked at the cases. Of protection orders in Shanghai, and only one third of all the applications were approved. One third of them were withdrawn after mediation, and another one third were actually rejected. So, when you looked at the data yourself, what else did you find surprising? Well, apart from the low approval rate, what I found most surprising was that a lot of the protection orders granted only have one measure in there, and that's prohibiting domestic violence. That really surprises me because maybe I didn't know enough about this law, but I really didn't expect this clause to be in there because it's just too obvious. I thought it would be something like the perpetrators need to keep a distance of say 200 meters from the victims, but there's nothing there like that. Yeah, I think overall, both in the protection orders and in the law, there's a lack of detail. For example, there is a measure that the respondent has to stay away from the claimant's residence, but it doesn't say the number of meters. And the same with a lot of things in the law about responsibilities that are given to different government bodies and other public bodies, like schools and police. There's just not a lot of detail about who exactly is responsible for what and what the consequences are. So Jessica, why are the numbers so low? Well, the legal expert we spoke to for the article told us that the main reason an application might be rejected is because lack of evidence. So, in general, Chinese courts require a very high burden of evidence, significant documented evidence attached to an application. So that might include police reports, medical records. In comparison, we looked at Washington State in the U.S., which is one of the places that China examined when it was drafting its law. In Washington State, there's actually a provision for a temporary protection order. So that's a two-week order that can be issued without any documented evidence outside of what's on the application. Technically, in China, while an order could be processed in, say, 24 hours、uh, in an emergency case, in practice, we found that the burden of proof is quite high. So overall, that sounds like a pretty poor scorecard. Danny, from your interviews, what did people point to as the reason why the family violence law isn't working as intended? While talking to the Women Foundation lawyers, or victims themselves, are reluctant to share their opinions and experience for my interview.、Uh, in terms of authorities, I feel like Women Foundations and even the local. They know their responsibility, but it's not really strong. For example, for the women foundations, they think they don't have the real powers to judge or to monitor what is going on after the personal protection order issued. Yeah, the law names a lot of parties, and they are supposed to be responsible. For example, say a school sees that a child has been physically assaulted, they're actually supposed to be responsible and can be liable if. 
say, later further violence happens and they have failed to report it. But because I think the law is so vague, it sort of just says everyone should help with preventing domestic violence. Across the board, the NGO and legal experts we spoke to pointed to the lack of awareness of the law and its protections uh, among the public. So as we saw with Alien, uh, that can make it difficult to even apply for an order or know that that's a possibility. And then when it comes to things like uh, the protections that aren't explicitly listed in the law, say, for example, banning a respondent from visiting a claimant's place of work, you know, you can't expect a layperson to know that they can apply for such a protection without the help of an expert. So one thing we found in our interviews was that Experts really zeroed in on the media as bearing key responsibility in terms of raising awareness of people's legal responsibilities under the law. So while there was significant media coverage when the law took effect in March 2016, media coverage really faded in the nearly two years since the law, with a major spike during the anniversary of the law in March 2017. What's more, the nature of media coverage uh, surrounding the law doesn't really detail any specifics. So, for example, right after the law took effect in 2016, courts might send out a press release to commemorate their first successful issued protection order. But that sort of coverage doesn't help the average person understand what they can do to file a protection order application. I think this also led to the fact that there is a general lack of awareness in the public. For example, on average, people had to experience 35 instances of domestic violence before calling the police. And also some data from Nanjing police show that in around half a year, there were more than 5,500 calls mentioning domestic violence, but only about 1% led to actual applications for protection orders. Jessica, in the cases where protection order is approved, what happens when a respondent, the abusive party, violates the order? Punishments for a violation of a protection order have been criticized as being too light to serve as a strong deterrent. So a typical punishment would be a thousand yuan fine, which is around 150 US dollars, or 15 days detention. And unless the protection order violation in itself constitutes a criminal act, it will be treated as a violation of civil law. That's not the case in other places where somebody served with a restraining order can actually be arrested simply for violating that order. Instead, in China, for example, if an abuser shows up at a victim's home after being banned from doing so through a protection order, because that in itself is not a crime, the Chinese system would put that to a civil court. And of course, that isn't the most effective response when someone is in imminent danger. So two years on, how do people feel about the family violence law? I went to a conference about domestic violence law. Law experts also say lots of limitations. For example, HIV affected people and also the LGBTQ groups are not really mentioned in the law. Secondly, categories of domestic violence sometimes are hard to prove. Yeah, I think at the time that the law came in, a lot of people had criticisms that it didn't include categories of abuse such as economic control or denial of medical treatment or psychological abuse, and it didn't specify sexual violence, though some people say that's included within physical violence. But I think what we've seen now two years on is that even in very clear-cut cases of physical assault, the burden of evidence is quite high. So then if you think about how someone would prove psychological abuse or intimidation, it would be even more difficult. So are people working to try and change the law? So now we currently work with uh, the law experts to analyze and collect data because in March, the National Two Sessions meeting, 
policy advisors and uh, lawmakers will refuse the law again. I think when you look at the process, it does seem quite slow and at times frustrating. But when I went to a talk when the law first came into play uh, with UN Women, they pointed out that family violence is still prevalent in countries that have had anti-domestic violence law for upwards of 30 years. So in some senses, maybe China just has to go through the same learning curve as other countries. Thank you, Furani, Lo Chang, and Jessica Levine for joining us today. If you're interested in the story with its detailed data breakdown, you can read How Protection Orders Leave Domestic Abuse Victims Vulnerable on our website, sixtone.com. That's S-I-X-T-H-T-O-N-E.com. You can also look for the early reports that we mentioned, Waking Up to the Threat of Domestic Violence and When Parents Kidnap Their Own Children. Thanks for listening. I'm Kevin Schumacher. And I'm Tian Jinghua. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast on SoundCloud or iTunes and tune in for the next episode in another fortnight. Thanks for listening.